Close Source is brought to you with support from the following sustainable brands. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Picnic wear, a slow fashion brand made by hand in New York City from vintage and dead stock textiles. Picnic wear strives for minimal waste, but maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Find Picnic wear on Instagram at Picnic wear, and that's wear, W-E-A-R, and at www.picnicwear.com. No flight back vintage, bringing fun new life to old things always using recycled and secondhand materials to make dope-ass shit for dope-ass people. See more on Instagram at NoFlightBackVintage. Shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Late to the party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room. All while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. Check them out on Instagram at Late to the Party People. Vino Vintage, based just outside of LA. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Shop Journal Vintage, specializing in upcycled, handmade, and vintage fashion for all genders. Owner Laura makes each piece by hand with love in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with an emphasis on upcycled menswear, tie-dye, modern jewelry, cottagecore collars, and everything in between. Shop Journal makes pieces they love and hopes you will too. Getting dressed should always be fun. See more on Instagram at shop underscore journal. Old Flame Mending helps you keep your clothes intact through clothing repair, visible mending, and tailoring. Through extending the life of textiles, Old Flame Mending makes your pieces not only wearable and functional again, but also unique and beautiful. This mending duo is based in Pittsburgh, but they take mail-in mending orders from anywhere in the U.S. For more information, visit them at oldflamemending.com or follow them on Instagram at oldflamemending. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer. But Gabriella is also a radical feminist micro-business. She's the one-woman band trying to help you understand why slow fashion is what the earth needs. The one-woman band to help you build your own brand. She can take your fashion line from just a concept and do your sketches, pattern making, grading, sourcing, cutting, and sewing. The second option is for those who aren't trying to start a business and who just want ethical garments. Gabriella Antonis will create custom made-to-measure garments just for you. Her goal is to help help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. 
Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at dylanpagelifeandstyle. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Wide-Eyed Vintage, a curator of truly covetable vintage from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Wide-Eyed Vintage encourages the experimental spirit of dressing up and will provide you with all the special pieces that will make your wardrobe truly unique. Dedicated to preserving the craftsmanship of clothes, Wide-Eyed Vintage only selects pieces that are well-made, pieces that have been proven to last beyond their lifetimes, so you too can enjoy them for more lifetimes to come. See more on Instagram at wide underscore eyed underscore vintage. Karen Kinney Studio. Located in Western Massachusetts, Karen specializes in handcrafted earrings from found, upcycled, and repurposed fabrics, as well as other eco-friendly curios, all with a hint of nostalgia, a dollop of whimsy, a dash of color, and 100% fun. Karen is an artist slash designer who believes the materials we use matter. See more on Instagram at Karen Kinney Studio or online at www.cKinney.com. Gentle Vibes Vintage. We are purveyors of polyester and psychedelic relics. We encourage experimentation and play not only in your wardrobe, but in your home too. We have thousands of killer vintage pieces ready for their next adventure. See them all on Instagram at Gentle Vibes Vintage. Thumbprint is Detroit's only fair trade marketplace located in the historic Eastern Market. Our small business specializes in products handmade by empowered women in South Africa, making a living wage creating things they love like hand-painted candles and ceramics. We also carry a curated assortment of sustainable and natural locally made goods. Thumbprint is a great gift destination for both the special people in your life and for yourself. Browse our online store at thumbprintdetroit.com and find us on Instagram at Thumbprint Detroit. St. Evans is a New York City-based vintage retailer that is dedicated to bringing you those special vintage pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just an online store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 20% of all sales are donated to a new charitable organization each month, amplifying and supporting causes like food insecurity, racial justice, homelessness, and LGBTQ support. For the month of February, St. Evans is supporting Canal Cafeteria, a nonprofit that provides sliding scale fresh produce bags to the Lower East Side neighborhood of New York City. Your vintage purchase from St. Evans supports a small, women of color run business while giving back to the collective community we're all a part of. New Vintage is released every Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time at wearsaintevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at where underscore st dot evens. That's at where saint evens. Shop vintage. 
do good and wear St. Evans. Welcome to Clothes Horse, the podcast that always has to pee at the thrift store. Seriously, every time. And if you've ever been on a road trip with me, you know it's like every hour, gotta stop. My brain is basically a database of public bathrooms. (laughs) I'm your host, Amanda. Welcome to episode 57, our final episode of Secondhand Month. And yes, yes, I know you're saying, Amanda, Have you looked at a calendar? We still have Sunday. Well, I'll be taking this Sunday off to focus on blog stuff and maybe just slightly chill out a little bit. I have so many craft and sewing projects that I want to work on, but I'm also doing a ton of recording with guests this week, and that really impacts my ability to research and write scripts. So I'll be back seven days from now. Well, six really? I don't know how it works. Anyway, next Wednesday. But for all of you who will miss me too much, there should be a Patreon-exclusive episode coming your way, so keep your eyes out for that. And of course, this could also be a great time to check out my other podcast, The Department, or maybe you'll just catch up on Clothes Horse. Now, this might be the last episode of Secondhand Month, but we will still be talking about secondhand all the time because I feel that shifting to a secondhand first mindset is a key component of a more sustainable future. So keep your stories about secondhand coming. The current question I've been pondering, and I would love to hear what all of you think about this, is how do we get more people to shop secondhand? Because While those of us in our community are like, yeah, I love it, I'm thrifting all the time, I'm on Poshmark, Depop, you name it, there's still a lot of stigma attached to secondhand anything, except for maybe cars. I feel like people are pretty chill about a used car, but when it comes to just about anything else, most people think it's kind of gross or weird or poor. And how do we change that thinking? And I also, sub-question, How do we do that without pandering to the idea of secondhand as a trend? Because I see that in a lot of industry publications. They're basically like, have you heard about the hot new trend? It's buying secondhand. And I don't want it to be a trend that comes and goes. I want it to be a trend that sticks around and becomes a way of life. So if you have thoughts on that, please hit me up. Let's keep the dialogue going. Like I said, Secondhand is the future, and it's such an important part of saving our planet. In today's episode, we'll be getting all kinds of hot thrifting tips from Michelle of Black Sands. She has some really good advice for both new thrifters and pros, so you won't want to miss that. We also have a great phone call from Gabriella. I'll be thanking the newest Patreon supporters in our next episode. I'm trying to save up a group of them so I can do them in a whole festive batch. I'll just remind you, if you're interested in supporting my work on Clothes Horse via Patreon, you can find out more at patreon.com slash podcast. You can also send a direct donation via Venmo to at crystal underscore visions. 
That's my personal Instagram account if you want to follow me there too. Thank you to all of you, as always, for supporting Close Horse and me, whether it's via actual cash money, leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts, even just recommending the show to friends. It's all so important. It's so valuable to me. All of your support allows me to hopefully someday, and I feel like I'm getting just a little bit closer every day, make Close Horse my actual real job. Well, it's my job, but it doesn't actually pay me a lot. That's what I mean. (laughs) You know what I mean. You all make my dream feel so much closer. So thank you so much. Remember on the last episode when I said that someone had sent me some really great info about Canadian rag houses via DM on Instagram, and I just couldn't find the message? Well, fortunately, the sender heard the episode and emailed me, which made my day because I felt really, really terrible. The sender is named Sierra. And as I mentioned, she lives in Canada. And here's what she said. There are a lot of these textile recycling plants here in Canada. And one thing that you didn't really mention is that this is also where a ton of people get their vintage from. I know it's not the same in the U.S. because I've talked with other sellers, but we all pick out of these places and call them rag houses. I'm just going to jump in here for a minute and say that we did talk about rag houses a while back. Um... I can't remember the episode number, but it was with Christine, our vintage expert. And the rag houses that she described here in the United States are very different from what this Canadian version is. So let's hear. I'll continue so you can learn more about why they're different or how they're different, I guess. Sierra goes on to say, basically, it's a huge factory that we are allowed in and you get to look for vintage and buy it by the pound. And on any given day, these places all have like six pickers in, and there is a hierarchy of pickers. If you're at the top, you get to go through the bales of clothing first and get the good shit. And if you're lower on the chain, you just go through the bins. As well, tons of Japanese companies send workers over here to work in the rag houses and pick every day, and then they ship everything back to Japan. And I'll just jump in again and say, it is like mind-blowing how much vintage American and Canadian clothing there is in Japan. Like if you go to Harajuku, for example, there are tons of vintage stores there. There are also tons of like new clothes stores that might be like 50% vintage secondhand. And it's all American. Like I was joking with someone else recently that when I'm in Japan with Dustin, he buys more clothes there than here because there's just tons of Western shirts, you know, other like he loves a denim shirt, denim jackets, that kind of thing. And we have gone into stores where literally hundreds of just Hard Rock Cafe t-shirts, for example, like it is a lot of stuff that maybe isn't as valuable here as it is in Japan, but it's fascinating the sheer volume that exists there. Anyway, back to Sierra. She says, so when the bale is unpacked and it's just a mix of shit, and if you're high up in the picking hierarchy, you get to stand at the front of the line and grab it all from there. As items go down the line, workers sort it into categories, blouses, dresses, sweaters, etc. And then from there, 
they get put into another section and sorted into styles and materials, and then it gets packed up and sent overseas. And some stuff, mostly ripped tees, gets cut into rags. All these rag houses have contracts with thrift shops all over North America, and they get bales from all over the place. It's a really wild place, and over the last few years, as online selling, especially streetwear, gets bigger and bigger, they are getting so oversaturated with pickers, not to mention just how much fast fashion trash you have to pick through. She also says, It's so funny because even though it all comes from thrifts, it's all stuff I never find thrifting. Just today we found gunny sacks dresses, a studded Roncelli jacket, and Edwardian cotton. I guess this is what happens when there's just this much volume. Once again, thank you so much, Sierra, for taking the time to message me this not once, but twice. I'm so glad you heard that I was sad about losing your message. So thank you, Sierra. You know, There's just so much secondhand clothing circling the globe right now, like literally no shortage, plenty to go around. And that's with only 15% of our unwanted clothing being donated. Remember, the other 85% is going straight to the landfill. But if you close your eyes and kind of imagine a more circular economy where we buy mostly secondhand, and then we re-donate or pass on the things that we no longer want that are still wearable and desirable, we start to decrease the amount of excess that's kind of flowing through the system in the first place. And we start to weed out all of the crappy fast fashion because this would stem the flow of unwearable, undesirable fast fashion into the secondhand system. You know, because we would be buying a lot less of it to join that sort of circle, right? But still, and I want us to remember this, a lot of the clothing we are currently, quote, donating is not, is not useful for rewear, primarily because it is extremely low quality or, and this is the, this almost upsets me more, incredibly novel. So think like, a t-shirt for a 5k race or a club you belong to, maybe political tees. I told you they have like no resale value. Uh, Tees based on memes. I would also add sweatshirts in there. Sweatshirts based on memes. Basically a substantial portion of pop culture ephemera, low quality and impractical like festival party clothes. These things don't have much life or use for others. And When it comes to the impractical festival party clothes, they tend to be incredibly synthetic as well. Now, in the last episode, I talked about how less than half of the donated clothing is ever worn again by another person. So that's only 7% of our unwanted clothing will ever be worn again. And at best, only about 3% of it is ever worn again by someone locally. Of the 4.7 billion pounds of clothing that Americans donate every year, only 10% of it is fit for resale at U.S. thrift stores, according to anti-poverty nonprofit One. Yes, so 10% of our 15% of our unwanted clothing, well, 10% of 15% is 1.5% of our unwanted clothing. Now, 
Others say it's actually about 3% of that total 15% donation that can be sold in the U.S., but that's really not a massive shift either way. The point of the story is that very little of our donated clothing is actually desirable to the U.S. market, which, as I touched on in the last episode, if it's not desirable here, the odds of it being desirable somewhere else are pretty slim. And if you think that clothes that no one here wants to wear are okay and acceptable and desirable to people overseas, that thinking is very racist, very classist, xenophobic at its core. But what I do want to emphasize here is that whether we consciously realize it or not, many of us are using donation as an alternate means of disposal rather than actual donation. Well, what's the distinction there? Mostly that we just aren't being mindful of what we donate. We're just throwing it all in the trash bags and dumping it off at the donation site, right? Now, I still think that you should donate just about everything, unless it's wet, moldy, or contaminated with bodily fluids, only because right now, in 2021, it has the greatest chance at being, at the very least, downcycled into something else. That's better than throwing it in the trash, right? But what worries me is that the next logical step for most of us, after donation, is a big old shopping spree. So here we have packed up bags of stuff, cleared it out. It's cleared from our mind. It's like it never existed. We no longer have that burden. We make room in our closet because then we can buy more stuff. I mean, you know that is part of the cycle. It's practically encouraged by fashion blogs and magazines. So let's just say that again. Donation (laughs) leads to shopping. I want you to put a pin in that because it's a conversation about consumption, which we'll be getting to a little bit later in the episode. But we need to stop using donation, the gutting of our closets, the making room for new as, I guess I would say, a justification for buying more. Now, as Sierra mentioned, all the clothing that either didn't sell at the thrift store or was sorted out by the employees as not worth trying to sell in the store, is shipped to a recycling plant where employees sort out the garments by grade, meaning quality, and fiber. As shirts, dresses, pants, and jackets come off a conveyor belt, an employee must make a snap decision, literally a split-second decision, as to where that piece of clothing should go next. Should it be shredded? Should it be ground down? Could it be sold off to other thrift stores here in the U.S. market? Or does it go overseas? These clothes are then, you know, in their groupings, bailed into 100-pound bales and loaded into huge shipping containers that are bound for overseas secondhand markets, which we've talked about, often in Africa. These bales cost about the same amount, just one bale, as feeding a family of five for a month in a country such as Cameroon. But As I mentioned in the last episode, often these buyers, who now we realize are sacrificing the amount of money that would feed a family of five to buy them, they don't know what they're getting in the bail. And about 40% of the contents won't be resaleable. And you know what else? 
often these secondhand clothing sellers borrow money. Yes, go into debt to purchase these bales. Have one bad bale, you might be okay. You might be able to bounce back on the next purchase. Get two bad bales back to back. Wow, that is a tongue twister. Your family may lose everything. When you remember that 40% of the bales contents will just be trash that we didn't want, but somehow made it its way overseas. Well, you start to see how risky this is for the sellers. I mean, it's, it's a gamble. It's a massive gamble. But as I mentioned, it wasn't always that way. This used to be a pretty reliable way to make a living because in general, clothes were better, right? As everything became fast fashion, it also became easier and easier and cheaper and cheaper to get, you know, custom t-shirts. And then the idea of festival as a marketing story and a good reason for a shopping spree blew up. I mean, hello, dolls kill. I would... I would hazard to say that 99% of the clothing purchased from Dolls Kill would never be sellable in a secondhand market in Africa. I would say the same thing about Fashion Nova. Basically, in the last 20 years, it's become easier and easier to both make and sell really unuseful and low-quality clothing to all of us. <laughs> that is what has happened. So... The person who's saying, I am going to risk food for my entire family for a month on this bale of used clothing, that person is relying completely on that employee overseas in the textile recycling plant who made a split-second decision in the recycling center that that garment was good enough to send overseas. So if if that employee missed a hole in a shirt or a broken zipper, the seller ends up paying for that mistake because maybe they can pay someone to repair it. Maybe it's just, you know, not salvageable. The quality of the clothing is only as good as the recycling plant's sorting method, which relies on the workers making these split-second decisions. There's no auditing system. Like no one's going back and checking like how much of the bale was actually good and then going back to the recycling plant saying, hey, it seems like maybe you need to bring in some more people because your staff is stretched thin and is making bad decisions. No, there's no accountability whatsoever. So if an entire damaged bale shows up in Africa where every piece in it is stained, shredded, beyond repair, no one's accountable. It's just, You know who suffers? The person who bought it. This can destroy the lives of an entire family. Furthermore, and I mentioned this a long time ago in an episode, I think it was maybe one with Celicia. Thanks to the steady flow, which is really less a flow and more of a flood of our unwanted clothing, there's little chance for any of these African countries as a whole to develop their own textile trade. In the last 10 years, local industries such as garment making and tailoring have collapsed in these countries, leaving hundreds of thousands of workers unemployed. Why? Because local textile makers and garment manufacturers just can't compete with the super cheap prices of our unwanted clothing. 
Once again, this unwanted clothing that we're buying in excess, then just donating and deleting from our brains and then going out and hitting the mall, at least figuratively, and buying a ton more. There's so many repercussions of this overconsumption. Okay, let's shift gears slightly. I want to talk about the flow of secondhand American clothing into Mexico. And before I continue, I want to thank Iris for cluing me into this as well as sending me a ton of information about it. I'm so grateful. And Iris, if you think of anything I'm missing here, please drop me a line or record a voice message. Iris actually lives in Mexico, so she probably has a lot more to add to this. When Iris and I began talking about the subject, I told her how I had noticed over the last few years more and more secondhand, sometimes vintage, American clothes in Mexico City, and a lot more of these like secondhand pop-up markets totally targeting hipsters that were primarily American clothing. And I was really shocked by this because generally vintage, particularly American vintage, was something I rarely encountered in Mexico, even in Mexico City's hipster neighborhoods like Roma and Condesa. So I noticed that something was up. I just didn't know what it was. Well, there's such an interesting phenomenon going here. On one side of the border, in this case, the U.S., secondhand clothes are virtually valueless to most people. We know that, unfortunately, right? Secondhand clothing is so stigmatized that to most people, looking at a pile of secondhand clothes is synonymous with looking with a, at a pile of trash, right? So here on the U.S. side of the border, no value. Take these clothes over the border to Mexico, and suddenly they are both valuable and highly in demand. While they're in transit across the border, however, they are contraband. Yes, used clothing coming from the U.S. in most cases is contraband as far as the Mexican government is concerned. So already a different situation than what we're seeing in Ghana where these containers of clothes are welcomed to a certain extent, right? Because the best stuff's not coming over there anymore. Mexico is like, this is forbidden. So why, right? Why? Well, importing used clothing for sale without the proper import license from Mexico's Secretariat of Economy is prohibited. But then again, it gets so interesting here. It seems as if no one actually has the license because very few and perhaps even none actually ever apply for it. In fact, according to the book Borderlands, comparing border security in North America and Europe, the Secretariat of Economy has never received a single application for this license. Quote, an official of the Secretariat of the Economy did confirm that his office was in charge of delivering import licenses for used clothing, but he indicated that in 12 years... No one had ever applied for such a license. He said, nobody has presented a solicitude, which means that nobody is authorized to import used clothing. <laughs> and if you're wondering why no one applies for this license, 
especially since, you know, I've already spoiled it by telling you secondhand clothing is highly in demand. Well, that's because it's basically impossible to fulfill the demands of the application because applicants are required to submit information about what they're importing, such as country of origin and fabric classification, as well as detailed financial documentation around the imports because ostensibly they're going to be paying duty on this. Well, none of these secondhand clothing importers have this kind of info because, well, they're dealing in secondhand clothing and it's kind of impossible because they're dealing with tons of different kinds of clothes from different locations. Some of that clothing might not even have a label indicating its origin because it's either too old or the previous owner cut it out because it's itchy, right? So let's break this down again. Importing secondhand clothing into Mexico requires a license, but no one has actually applied for that license. So no one has it, and therefore, all of the secondhand clothing imports are illegal. Okay, so why is importing used clothing so dramatic and forbidden? Especially because we have seen that in other countries, this is actually like a thriving economy, right? Well, the Mexican government officially says that it's a sanitary issue, but really, it's an economic issue. After NAFTA, which is the North American Free Trade Agreement, was enacted, virtually all tariffs were eliminated from products that flowed between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, except for secondhand clothing. Why? Because manufacturing clothing, primarily for export, is a huge business in Mexico, and the Mexican textile manufacturing lobby wields a lot of power. Mario Escobedo Cargnan, the president of Tijuana's Chamber of Commerce, explains that the private sector disapproves of the used clothing trade because it, quote, unfairly competes with legitimate businesses. He also added that bringing used clothing into the country shouldn't even be called importing because it's contraband. He's like, it's smuggling, okay? Now, this is in sharp contrast to what we're seeing in the African countries, right? But you do have to think, okay, we are seeing, I just talked about it a few minutes ago, that our secondhand clothing has destroyed the textile and garment manufacturing industries in those African countries. So you're like, okay, Mexico, I think you're onto something, right? And it's not just American secondhand clothing that these textile manufacturers in Mexico want to keep out of the country. In fact, when China entered the World Trade Organization in 2001, the Mexican government imposed tariffs of up to 1,000% on Chinese goods which ultimately over time decreased to 20% by 2011, but 20% is still super high. Affordable fast fashion brands like H&M, Forever 21, and Gap did arrive in Mexico around 2012, but these brands aren't actually widely accessible to most Mexicans in the way they are here in the United States or other Western countries because these chains only have locations in Mexico City, and their prices, which seem affordable to us by U.S. standards, are actually out of reach for the average Mexican worker, where the annual household per capita income is a little bit more than $3,000. So suddenly, 
a $20 dress feels really expensive, right? The thing is, Yes, Mexico is manufacturing tons of clothes. It has a thriving textile industry, but almost all of those clothes are being exported because they are also too expensive for the average Mexican. What does this do? Well, this fuels further demand for the cheap American secondhand clothing. It's kind of reminding me of the situation in Africa, right? Despite the protection of the textile industry. Since this clothing is technically illegal, it is smuggled into the country via what is called ant trading. And when I explain what it is, you'll be like, oh yeah, this does remind me of ants. Not ants, but ants, the insect. So it's a slow process in which many, many people bring over small quantities, like what an ant could carry, rather than just a few people bringing really large quantities, like say a truck full. The process starts in the U.S. at like, you know, Goodwill bins, yard sales, flea markets, thrift stores, anywhere where used clothing is sold for really, really cheap. After paying for the goods, traders can either cross the clothing into Mexico themselves, or they can pay a designated crosser known as a pasador to do it for them. The going rate for a pasador is about $40 per 36-gallon plastic bag. The advantage of using one of these pasadores is that they have special relationships, and imagine that in quotes, with certain customs officers so they can get through without a problem. But if an ant trader is caught, which can happen because about 1 in 10 cars are stopped at the border crossing... They either have the choice of paying a fine and keeping the bag of clothes or skipping the fine and handing over the bag of clothes. The fine is about 15% of the border agent's, quote, perceived value of the clothing, which of course is highly subjective and easily influenced by a bribe. But either way, it's not that risky. And sometimes it's a much better deal to just risk that 15% fine rather than pay a pasador $40. It just depends what your strategy is. You have to remember it's many, many people passing over the border with just one bag of clothing. So you might lose a bag here or there. It's not really a big deal. So the clothes themselves are sold in open air markets and small shops and even online. I actually discovered that Facebook Marketplace is often cited as both a place to find low cost stuff on the US side for smuggling over the border. And it's also a great and easy place to resell secondhand stuff on the Mexican side. One of the major differences here between the bales arriving in Africa and the bags being smuggled over the border to Mexico is that the resellers in Africa have absolutely no visibility or agency in choosing what they end up buying to sell, right? It's all a surprise. It's a gamble. It's luck of the draw. So it's incredibly risky from a financial perspective. For the Mexican resellers, they are literally hand-choosing what they want to sell, so they are taking a lot less financial risk, and they know that they aren't bringing back a bunch of junk. What is interesting in both of these situations is that in Africa, our secondhand clothing is stifling the domestic textile industry. Meanwhile, in Mexico, the domestic textile industry is flourishing, but it's not affordable for the residents making the clothing. So 
they must rely on secondhand, which I think says a lot about the wages they're being paid, right? What would happen if the restrictions on secondhand clothing were lifted? It's hard for me to say because it does seem as if the Mexican textile industry relies on selling to Americans and other Western countries rather than its own people. How do we help African nations build their own textile industry that is fueled by exports to other countries? And how do we do that without sending American and European brands over to colonize the industry? That's not what we want. We don't need H&M clothes made in Ghana. We need clothes made in Ghana by companies owned by Ghanaians exported to the U.S., right? Do you have some thoughts on this? You know, reach out and let me know what you think. Okay, Next, we have a message from Gabriella, who didn't say her name in the message, but fortunately emailed it to me, so I knew who it was. Also, of course, we all recognize her voice, right? Hi, Amanda and the Clothes Horse world. I was listening to episode 56 of the Clothes Horse pod, and I took one of the first things that Sophie of Ooey Gooey Van Chop said as a sign to call in to post this question to everyone. Sophie described being a child and setting up her Polly Pockets to go shopping. So my question is, when was your earliest memory of realizing you had been trained by either society or your family to be a consumer? For me, it was when I was younger, in about second or third grade, when my mom took me to California so we could go to Disneyland and Universal Studios. When we got home, I remember her telling friends and family that I was more moved slash interested slash excited to go into all of the shops and trying to get her to buy me as many totems and trinkets as possible. Now, this could be explained that a child would have a love and like happiness like moment from hugging a symbol of their favorite character. I still have a stuffed Betty Boop doll from this trip to this day. And I shopped just as much when I got to go to Disney World later when I was a little older. But it was this moment that I realized what capitalism was and equated shopping with a form of love. I don't think gift giving and receiving is my primary love language, but it is in my top three. I think capitalism or perhaps over any overconsuming society imposes a notion that you can buy people's love and adoration with gifts. I think it's society collectively perpetuating this, but I also think our family dynamics can reinforce it. For example, my Yaya, Francis, that's Greek for grandmother, loved to shop so much that when she passed away, multiple family members remarked that She's in the big Macy's in the sky now. My Yaya shopped so often that the employees of Macy's and Hecht Company, Hecht Company is now out of business, they all knew her name in the ladies' departments. I have memories of her taking me with her even when she couldn't drive anymore because she had Alzheimer's and dementia. She would still make my Bapu, Greek for grandfather, take her. Him and I would walk around the mall and wait for her. Now, as the Alzheimer's rolled into our lives, so did her shopping habit. 
that had become like a hoarding issue at this point because she would buy four of everything, one for her and one for each of her three daughters, or if it was for children, one for each of her three grandchildren. Not only was she shopping in person, but she was calling QVC, watching it all the time and ordering from the Home Shopping Network. It took us multiple group efforts to thin out the collections of piles that took over the bedrooms and the basement. My point of telling the story is because I think that because the pandemic happened in our lifetime, that it gave us all a chance to learn to cope and self-soothe without shopping or doing it through shopping. Amanda herself has mentioned this multiple times on the pod and that she used to scroll on her lunch break My cousin also brought this up to me on her own. She said since she was making more money pre-pandemic that she would self-soothe by buying clothes and other shit when she felt sad. I've been guilty of this pre-pandemic. I think we all have, but my hope is that we can dismantle the ties of capitalism that are binded to our feelings and break free from these patterns before we get old so that when our families are taking care of us, that they don't have to go through mountains of stuff that we brought to suppress our emotions because it's hard to snap out of it when you've lost control. But I think this is true, like, for the 99% of us poors and even the rich. They might have the, all the money to buy whatever they want, but it still doesn't fill the void. They can still be miserable. Let's lean into the idea of bartering and buy-nothing groups. Secondhand first and take it with us all the time, even after secondhand month is over. Most of what we already need is out there. And if we buy less new stuff, perhaps big companies will be forced to reevaluate and not continue to overproduce their goods. So thank you for all you do. Thanks for listening and have a nice day. Bye. I swear Gabriella did not know this when she called, but her message is a perfect tie-in to next month's theme here at Close Horse. But first, I want to talk about her message a bit before I reveal that. Gabriella's message really resonated with me. I do believe that we all have been programmed to be shoppers from moment one. I mean, my brother and I once built an entire mall for my Barbies, And it's not surprising because most Friday nights, we went out for dinner as a family and then went to walk around the mall. And I loved the mall. I loved the lights, the people, the smell of perfume samples, the fountains. Actually, uh, when I was about, I don't know, four or five, my younger cousin, who was just a couple years younger than me, had jumped in a fountain, had like literally taken off his shoes and jumped in a fountain at the mall. And of course, it was mortifying for everyone involved. But I, in my selective listening skills as a kindergartner, heard my mom and my grandma talking about this. And I thought that really what they were saying is that there was a special day once a month where kids could go to the mall and all swim in the fountains together. And seriously, I waited years for that to happen and I don't think I, I think I was probably like in high school when I realized that there was never, there was never a day ever when everyone was allowed to come and swim in the fountain at the mall. But man, 
I held on to that that hope for a really long time. (laughs) Anyway, my grandma, just like Gabriella's, was and is a shopaholic. If I was having a bad day when I was a kid, which was often, she would pick me up and take me out to lunch and then to buy a new outfit. And I don't know if I loved shopping. I think it was pretty boring at that point, but I loved being with my grandma. It was like this was our thing that we did together and it felt so good. My home life was very bad, very unloving, very stressful, but my grandma was always the source of the unconditional love and affection that I was constantly starving for, so I would have done anything with her. If we were shopping for clothes, so be it. But my relationship with stuff, with shopping, it was complicated. You know, my mom would always tell me, you only love your grandma because she buys you things. You're selfish. You're greedy. These were massive character flaws in her eyes and proof that I was a defective person. Now, mind you, I was six, seven, eight years old while she was telling me this stuff. She just could not understand that I would have stayed with my grandma forever, even if she never bought me a thing. Because it just felt warm and safe to be with her. The shopping wasn't the point of it. But this constant guilt, even at Christmas and on my birthday, where my mom would point out that my excitement about gifts was just another character flaw. It was just proof that I was materialistic and selfish. This gave all of those holidays a bitter aftertaste. I'm going to be honest, I, as an adult, still struggle emotionally with Christmas and birthdays. They're really hard for me. I think as an adult, after I was finally making my own money, I would just buy myself anything I wanted the moment I wanted it so that I would never have to beat myself up over the very human and very natural desire of wanting something. Of course, as soon as I bought anything, I was also filled with guilt and self-hatred of like, why am I such a basic greedy person? Why do I need stuff? Why? Why do I need stuff? Like, if I could just beat the desire to own things out of myself, I would finally be good enough for my mother to love. Just going to also add in here that I currently do not speak to my mom. I stopped speaking to her in 2019. Um, It's been really, really hard. And one of the hardest things that has come out of that actually uh, is that I don't get to talk to my grandmother either because my grandma felt like she had to stick with her daughter. And I understand that. I would stick with mine too. I know this is getting heavy, but this is the journey I've been on as I've tried to figure out my own consumption habits and how to change them. I had to go back and see how deeply entangled it was in both my sense of self and the environment that raised me. I want us to do this together because we all consume, shop, buy, want things for so many different reasons. That's why March's theme is, drumroll please, consumption. We'll be talking about ways we can buy less, make our stuff last, the history of buying stuff and fashion as a whole. And of course, I want to hear your stories about your relationship with shopping, with stuff, with clothes, your relationship with consumption. So please, please reach out to share with the rest of us. You can call the Clothes Horse Hotline at 717 
925-7417. You can also record your own message using the voice memo on your phone or use your computer, and you can email it to me, or you can write a good old-fashioned email and send it to me at amanda at closehorse.world. Okay, well, I'm really excited to get into my conversation with Michelle of Black Sand, so let's get right into it. My name is Michelle, and I uh, I own Black Sands, which is an online curated vintage shop. Um, I'm based in Seattle, and I'm actually coming up on my two-year anniversary of having Black Sands. Um, and before Black Sands, I am well, I still am, but I'm also a professional photographer, and I've been doing that for almost. 20 years here in Seattle. So born and raised in Seattle, never lived anywhere else except for the Pacific Northwest. And I guess you could call me a serial entrepreneur. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that sounds like a good problem to have. So, (laughs) so, you know, I put a call out on, on the pod, you know, people who are experts in vintage call in and share your information, you know, for everyone else. So, I can't wait to hear what you have to tell us about thrifting and how to do a better job at it. Yes. I I love thrifting. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Me too. Where do we start? (laughs) I know. I mean, you're an expert. I mean, you do this for a living, you know, but also as a way of life. Uh, And the way I've been sort of approaching it is like we as lifelong thrifters, we don't even like think about it when we're there doing it. But you know, we all have all these like, I don't know, weird little like rituals and routines that we, that we engage in when we're thrifting. Like I, for example, I go to a thrift store, I go all the way to the back. And the first thing I do is start looking at glassware and home stuff. I like to start there and kind of work my way around. There's definitely like a method to how you put stuff in your cart. Like I definitely learned that like the hard way where you start with like the heavy big things need to go in the bottom first before you start throwing clothes on top. (laughs) Totally. And it seems like really obvious that I have seen people do it the other way. And I also have learned that lesson the hard way where I broke something awesome before I went to pay because I have this crazy disorganized mess of like a couple of glass things, some clothes, some more glass stuff. I was out of control, throw some shoes in there, whatever. And so I think it's interesting like, I like to watch when I go thrifting with different people, which obviously hasn't happened in a really, really long time. I like to I see know. how everybody scatters in a different direction because they have their own routine. Yes. Are you, would you say that you're a, you prefer to go solo or you prefer to go with other people? Because there, there are definitely like very divisive lines on <laughs> this. Yeah, I know. I know. And I, man, I could talk about that all day. I, I <laughs> haven't thrifted with another person in so long that isn't my husband. And he is even more of a thriftaholic than me. Like we have literally gone on road trips where I thought we were going to go do something cool outside. And really what he did was take me to 10 thrift stores. Uh, so <laughs> like, not complaining, but like he, he will not get fatigued. Whereas I like five stores in him, like, I can't do this anymore. I just need to need to do something else. But, uh, <laughs> I feel like 
you know, I, in general, like if we were going to go to the mall and go shopping together, which that also sounds kooky right now, and something I haven't done in years, I like the, I I like hanging out with people and like the adventure and like people watching together, but actually shopping with people, I find to be really counterproductive. And it means I end up with stuff I didn't really want or need. Uh, That's sometimes why I like second guess thrifting with other people, because they might be like, you need this, you need this. And you're like, I don't know. Like you love your friend or your relative or whatever, but, and you can tell me if you disagree here, I have found I'm not going to name names here. If you're listening, you know you're the kind of person <laughs> that some people are so hyper competitive that they cannot handle thrifting with someone else because what if that person sees something before them? We yeah, all know. I'm, we all know that person. I, yeah. Yeah. I definitely. I'm more of like a, if you go thrifting with me and you score something awesome that I like walked by or you got to it first, I'm like, I'm stoked for you because you found something cool. Like I might be like a little sad inside for like five seconds, but there's going to be something else amazing too that because you go, you, if you go to a store with different people, you're eyes are going to notice something differently than them and sometimes it can work in your favor like if you're going with a friend and they're helping you find something specific they might see it and you don't Mm -hmm. um but like I have this weird like I have this weird ability to put on like a very specific filter when I go to the stores that I'm so like used to using that it sometimes is hard for me to see the thing I'm not looking for and so you know, someone else might, you might be looking for things that look cozy and big chunky sweaters and they'll like pull out this rad jacket and you're like, oh, I wasn't like, didn't have my jacket filter on and you found this cool jacket. And, you know, but I'm like a, I'm definitely a solo thrifter when I'm, especially when I'm sourcing for my shop. Like I have this really awful PTSD about going into a store for too long and and being making somebody wait for me and being like nervous about like are they tired or yeah yeah like, like, that's a good point maybe that's like my codependent issues but like, <laughs> I'm always like how are you feeling do you, do we need to go or can you stay longer and so I just would rather be on like my own schedule and do my thing and not be stressed out about like someone else's comfort level however I do have like my very best friend is the only person I would like go thrifting with any time of the day because we both have like the same amount of stamina and you know and we aren't like competing against each other and we will go to like a million different stores in one day or we'll go on like a road trip and you know all of my like really close friends are are good to go thrifting with but I would say like normally I'm just like I'm gonna go do my thing and and it's also what you're saying too where you're you end up buying things that might not be what you wanted I've I've had to learn this practice of like Sometimes somebody, if I'm thrifting with, they're like, oh, look at this, and being able to say, like, no, thank you, in a way that doesn't feel, like, bad or guilty, because, like, they're like, oh, I thought of this for you, but you're like, oh, that's not really my thing, and just being able to be like, thanks for pulling that out for me, but, you know, I have enough of those or whatever, and that's something that I've had to 
learn how to be okay with, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's really, really hard because it's like we're socialized to just make people happy. You know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, I'm just like not taking it personally, I guess. But Yeah, um, yeah. It, it. I mean, we're all like growing as people and like unpacking all of our sort of programming this year, right? Yep. Oh, my uh, God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you obviously – source for a living. Well, I mean, you're also, yes. you know, a photographer, but you know what I mean? Like you have a business that depends on thrifting. So yes. I have a controversial question for you. Yes. How do you feel? <laughs> how do you feel about sharing your thrift spots with other people? Oh, that's not where I thought you were going to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait to hear where you thought it was going to go, but let's go through this one first. Um, if I there's a couple honey holes that I have that like if if I love that term I know right it's a good one oh I want to know where that term came from but anyways (laughs) I love googling like what is this like what is this phrase of thing um me too me too you know (laughs) but like if if um somebody I might not, like, blast out on my stories, like, go to this Goodwill and blah, blah, blah. But if somebody was, like, hey, do you have a tip on, like, where I can go? And there's somebody that I regularly, like, engage with or whatever, I'll be, like, of course, share that with you because there's going to be new stuff in that thrift store, like, every day. And I I operate from a place of – or, like – what's the opposite of scarcity, like in a, in abundance, like people that are like afraid of sharing or like operate in scarcity are going to live in scarcity. And so I'm just of like sharing the wealth only comes back to you tenfold. So, you know, I'm not like this top secret going to like hoard everything for myself. Cause it's just, that's just not how I operate. And, you know, but last fall, I went on a big sourcing trip to California to this warehouse um, for vintage wholesale, and I posted about it on my stories, and then I was like, at first, I was like, oh, do I want to share this, like, source with people? But then, you know, I realized, like, the whole point of what I do at the core of my business is sharing secondhand and vintage and, like, sustainability is, and there's just so much that already exists out there in the world that we literally could not like source it all collectively like not even just me but like everybody and I'm like Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. I want to spread this message of like we need to thrift more we need to buy secondhand we need to repair we need to reuse all the things that already exist instead of making new then why wouldn't I share that with people like why wouldn't I help more people go and like find these things and like give them a new life. And, and so that's like the ethos of what I like believe in. And it's not like a, Oh, there's no more vintage left in the world. I can't tell anyone where I got this <laughs> sweet thing. Like the people that like sit and complain about like, Oh, all the good stuff's picked over at the thrift store. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. Like <laughs> that might be true. It might be like really, really hard to find like cool fifties, whatever, but there's just so much other stuff we need to like reframe how we're how we're like thinking about the world but that's like 
really getting philosophical and less about thrift tips, tips. But <laughs> I mean, that has that has been on my mind a lot lately, though, because you know, like there's so much conversation around you know this quote gentrification of thrift, and you know. A lot that's of, I thought you were going to ask me about. Well, I, 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 as soon as I, you said, I had a feeling that's what you thought I was going to ask, which, you know, you kind of answered any question I would have had that, about that already by saying, like, why wouldn't you want everybody to go out there and shop secondhand? And like, there's just so much stuff out there. We're not running out. I think we need to reframe how we funnel some of that clothing and other stuff to people who are genuinely in need financially. But we also need to get everyone we can to hit the thrift store because I get bummed out thinking about, you know, so much stuff hits the thrift stores and it's such a tiny percentage of all the clothes that we throw out in the first place. And the store, the thrift stores can't even stay on top of processing all of that. So lots of perfectly amazing vintage also just ends up getting shipped overseas or going to the landfill or getting shredded just because there's not enough customer base to stay on top of all of the donations. You know what I mean? It's yep. just, it's like, uh, that's why. Is literally going out of business right now. And that should tell you, or tell not you, but the collective you that there, we clearly need more people to shop at them. And I think that I've read and discussed a lot of the, you know, ethicalness of, thrift shopping and, you know, people worried that they're taking away all the good stuff from, like, people that need it. And there's just there's just too much that it would literally be impossible. And then sidebar on, like, oh, prices are going up. And it's, like, actually, they're really not. Like, if their goodwill is a business, like, they have to raise their prices in order to stay in business and if you Mm -hmm. look at like over the years of inflation their prices actually have not gone up enough and so it's like that's just a normal part of life it's not like because more millennials are going in there and buying all like the dad jeans or whatever (laughs) it's because they're literally a business that needs to continue to operate and so prices everywhere go up and, and you know, there there are ways to be mindful, like, it, you know, if you're shopping in a um, less affluential town, don't go ham and buy all of the winter clothes in the dead of winter. If somebody who can't have the means to buy a new winter jacket needs to shop there, but there are, like, so many other things that you can find and leave behind, and I was trying to look up the, like, number of items that go out every day at the Goodwill and I, I I know I had read it at one point and I can't find it but like case in point think about all the people that were donating like to Goodwill during the pandemic when everyone was cleaning their houses out and there was like lines mm-hmm. of cars to even drop off I still almost a year later have not even seen the stuff that people were dropping off at Goodwill because no one could literally process any of that stuff yet like there was like for months, just, like, old stuff sitting at the Goodwill by the time they opened here in Seattle, which was, like, in the middle of June or July, there was still items with, like, tags from February on them. Like, none of this new stuff had even made it. Like, it's just... Yeah. There's so much. Literally there's, impossible. There's so much. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. There's, there's 
we're not we're not running out. I mean, listen, I would love to get to a situation in which we weren't over consuming in the way we are right now. And like the supply at the thrift stores would dry up. That would be actually be really great. But yeah. that's not where we are. And we're a long time from that. Like that oh, would involve every human in this world reevaluating right. the number of clothes they think they need to own and really committing to making their clothes last. And like, I mean, that's just not happening anytime soon. So everyone should hit up the thrift store as much as they can for the, like, obviously you can't buy everything secondhand and sometimes you need something and it's just, you can't find it and that's okay. Yeah. It's okay yeah. to buy new things. It doesn't mean you're like a failure or you should hate yourself no. or we want you to stop no. following us on Instagram because we're so ashamed <laughs> of you. It's nothing like that. But like, you know, it's it's something that I've I adopted a long time ago, and I think some of it came out of necessity of just being broke, but also, you know, really gravitating towards older aesthetics in the first place. You know, there are still certain yeah. things that I well, and things I'm nervous about like, buying secondhand. You know, totally. And things were just better made a long time ago. Oh I mean, my even gosh, in the seriously, eighties and nineties, still things were were better made. Um, but along what you were saying, because you know, I, I have a lot of friends that, like, close friends that follow me, and they're like, oh, I need to buy um, new leggings, and I'm terrified to buy something with polyester. And I'm like, okay, here's the deal. Like, I'm not trying to shame you into not buying new leggings, but, like, if you can't find what you are what you absolutely need secondhand or, like, perfectly sustainable, and you just want to buy, like, a pair of, you know, leggings from Target, but you know you're going to wear the shit out of them, like, just go buy them and just wear them forever. Like, don't buy them once and then be like, oh, I don't really like these and then not wear them. But, like, like think about what you're buying. And if you're like, this is where I really need to get them, then go for it. But what I like to do, like, when I'm looking for anything is I think first, like, okay, let's say I need a new shelf for my apartment or something like before I just in like conveniently run down to Ikea I'm like okay do I need this like today no should I do a little bit of research and then maybe see if I can find something secondhand um you know first and like and and then if I can't find it buy it new but then think about what I'm buying new and being like okay like you know what's going to last me the longest, what's in my price range, what's, like, my aesthetic, and then kind of, like, let it trickle backwards from there. But, like, literally, like, you can find brand-new things at Goodwill, like cooking utensils or dish, like, things that people don't even think about buying secondhand, like, like, like stupid things, like a shower curtain rod or something. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. It's all true. of these things have been like owned by somebody, used for one second, and then given away. <laughs> it's it's so true. Like the amount of stuff I see at the, like the thrift store that it's not it's not like it was donated by the store that was trying to sell it. This is stuff that people bought and then literally never opened. Blows yeah. my mind, especially when we talk about yeah. things like. Shower curtains, craft supplies. Oh, yeah. Um, craft supplies is, like, such a, like, great aisle to visit in Goodwill because oh, you don't is. ever need to go to, like, Michael's and buy anything new because all of it's the all craft there. supplies yeah, you want are there. <laughs> it's all there, which is great because, you know what, those stores are expensive. And so yeah. you can do you can make these amazing things without dropping a ton of money and know that you save materials from the landfills. Like I, 
am obsessed with completely unopened craft kits, which I find all the time. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm doing a latch hook this week or next I'm going to do this weird embroidery of a cat on a rocking chair. Like whatever, you know, it, I it's love my hands it. busy and they, I just like, I bought this amazing uh, embroidery kit at the bins recently for 50 cents that had the price tag on it from the seventies when it was $22. Wow. <laughs> I know. Unopened. Just living in someone's garage for that. That's long time. amazing. I also feel like those make really great gifts. Um Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. So always always a good always a good aisle to visit. So what share your expertise here. If if someone yeah, were so going to like... go thrifting for the first time because you know mm-hmm. A lot of people pull up to the store. They're like, today's the day. I'm going to do it. And then they're like, uh, I, there's so much stuff here. Like what, yeah. what are your tips for them? So I think, you know, if you've never thrifted before, even if you're just trying to have like a better method to your madness, um, I like phones are so great because I like to keep a note um an ongoing note in my phone of stuff that I like need for you know whether it's for myself or my home or like a gift I'm looking for like I'll keep a little note going of like I need to look for a bookcase or I need to get this thing and having like a plan is it seems so obvious but it's like you have to before you go in anywhere otherwise you're just going to be so overwhelmed and inundated Mm -hmm. like with everything that you're you just like it's always good to go in with a plan, whether it's, you know, I need to get these three things from my apartment or um, I need a new coat. Um, it's good to have, a, like, an ongoing list. And that's usually how I shop for anything, even if it's new. Like, if there's something new I want to, I'll have, like, a, it noted in my thing and kind of make myself wait to buy it because then I'll know, like, if in two weeks I still – need that or haven't found it then it's like okay for me to buy it and I still might think about it a little bit longer (laughs) like you know and and just because you're going thrifting and you find a bunch of cool stuff for cheap I also I also think it's really good to just shop mindfully and and thoughtfully and slow even when shopping secondhand or thrifting because otherwise we're still just like over consuming and buying a bunch of things. So I love that. I love that. And I think a list is a really good idea. I was actually listening to an episode of some sort of business or economics show that I listened to, and they were talking about how grocery stores have really been suffering during the pandemic, which is laughable because, you know, their business has been on fire. But <laughs> <laughs> so suffering, you take that however you want. I think it's more specifically like certain categories of things haven't been good for them because so many people are shopping online or they're making a list and they're going to the store and they're just getting what they need and getting out that people yeah. are impulse purchasing like pretzel pop tarts. Although when I say that out loud, that sounds really good or, or, you know, like <laughs> random candy, snacks, frozen foods, all that stuff. Right. And that this has, it has made, I guess these things are such high profit for grocery stores that it's actually affected their overall profitability that everybody is, just buying what they need instead of just randomly browsing. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Cause yeah, we want to get like in and get out as yeah. quickly as possible because no one wants to linger in the grocery store right now. No, definitely <laughs> I not. get it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I want to point out too, like, so 
there's the word thrifting, right? And then there's like secondhand shopping or like vintage sellers or resellers. And, and I, I just want to clarify, like when I think of thrifting, I think of you're going to the Goodwill and you're digging for stuff and it might not be clean or like presentable and you're kind of like doing all the dirty work is kind of how I think of what thrifting is. But if you're shopping like from a curated vintage reseller, that's you're buying secondhand or you're buying vintage because that person has already gone and thrifted it and then upcycled it or cleaned it or repaired it. And I don't think either one is better or worse. They're just two different ways of obtaining sustainable slow fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, thrifting, you're going to find, you know, better deals, but again, you're going to have to spend the time and you're going to have to wash it and potentially repair it. Because when I go thrifting, like for clothing for myself or my, my um, shop, I am spending a full day, you know, going to multiple places and then spending a few hours at each place in order to find maybe like 20 total things for that week's thrift Mm -hmm. haul or however you want to like call it. But for those of us that do love the, you know, treasure hunt, it is an amazing way to shop because I think no matter what you're looking for, you're always going to find something that is like pretty close to what you need like I'm always just impressed at like I'm like oh I really want a striped t-shirt like chances are if you go to three thrift stores on one day you're probably gonna find that and if not like it might take you a couple of times but there's just there's just so much out there (laughs) yeah no 100 don't like that you know, then follow all your favorite resellers or go on Etsy and, like, search for it. But there are many ways to to thrift, especially during the pandemic, or to buy and support sustainable fashion. Yeah, I, I it's, it's so smart. I, I love what you're saying about how you never, this seems like bad grammar, you never don't find what you're looking for. And I know Others might disagree with that, but I would say, like, you know, maybe you're not going to find it at your first stop. You probably are. Yeah, yeah. I I find that, like, you know, for me, it's a mixture of actual in-person thrifting, flea marketing, yard sailing, that kind of stuff, and also, like, virtual secondhand shopping. Yep. So using Poshmark yep. and ThreadUp, and I'm a huge fan of eBay. I always like to play yep. dump eBay by searching for something that I have a vague memory of. I always turns up to verify that it existed to me. Um, and I just, I think that uh, there is always going to be a way to get what you need secondhand. And I like to mix up like supporting the thrift stores with these secondhand sellers because, you know, they're trying to run a business too. And it feels like the yeah. best use of my money. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> Cause I think, I think it's like, it's, it's, still it's less overwhelming to probably buy from a curated shop because you know but there's so many different ways of curating and it's also fun to like go look for something on your own and then be like oh there's a seller I love and they they only sell like neutral toned cotton stuff so like if I need something that doesn't fall in that category like a 
rad wool blazer. I'm going to go try to get that at Goodwill, and then I know I can get that other thing here. You know what I mean? So it's, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like, kind of thinking about, like, knowing – Knowing where you're going, like, you know, you're not going to go to the grocery store to buy a new bed, like, but, like, you need both things. Yeah. probably a really bad analogy. <laughs> but, like, you know what I mean? So, and that being said, too, like, there's so many different, like, for example, like, everyone knows Goodwill and everyone knows Value Village or Savers is what I think it's called. And I and I think that might only be on the East Coast, but I know they're also in Canada. But Goodwill is pretty much like U.S. across the board. Um, and I know for a fact Goodwill is always going to be good for, like, furniture and home stuff. And Value Village slash Savers is the same company is where I'm going to find, like, good clothing. Like, and mm-hmm. – and, their home goods stuff is always like way overpriced compared to Goodwill. So I don't even look at their home section necessarily, but they just have tons and tons of clothes. So it's also kind of like the more you start thrifting and going to different stores, you're going to be like, Oh, I know that this specific place is like the place to go for denim. Like, I don't know if you are familiar with Crossroads. I think that's what mm-hmm. US base thing and that's maybe like less thrifting and more just like secondhand but there's like a crossroads here in Seattle and Capitol Hill that in college when I was like fluctuating weight all the time I would just go there every few months and buy new like seven jeans because they were like 20 bucks and I didn't want to like spend $200 on a pair of jeans and I was you know afraid they wouldn't fit me in a few months and it was a great way to like resell things that didn't fit me and like grab a new pair and you just kind of start to learn like okay this is where I go for this sort of category of things and you're gonna have to go to a a few different places to kind of if you're putting together like a whole outfit or wardrobe but it's kind of like knowing where you're going so you're not wasting time looking for something that doesn't really exist in that store yeah yeah I think it is it's it's like you get better at secondhand shopping with time yeah because you yeah it's just all just a learning (laughs) it is it is like the first time you go out thrifting well it's either going to be the best thrift of your life I can't explain it this is how this works sometimes or you're going to be like well that was underwhelming but then you start to realize like where you go for different things like I definitely have certain thrift stores that I think of specifically for furniture I have other ones that are for, like, kitchen stuff because I know if I can dream of any kitchen thing, they have it there. You know, clothes, same thing. Some thrift stores are great for clothes. Some are not. You know, some are great for amazing books. Like, I have, like, built a database in my brain of all the different spots and, like, what I can rely on finding there. And you just have to, like, build that list up for yourself. Yep. Yep, and it's all in my brain, too. I mean, it would probably be smart to put it on paper, but I just, you know, <laughs> after a while, you start to know, like, yeah, this is where I'm going to go. Like, the the good the goodwill here close to my house in Seattle is sort of where I started my obsession with Pyrex, and um, oh, about ten years or eight or nine years ago, when I was, um, like, DIYing my um, first home, 
and I I don't know why I just became so excited with Pyrex and like researching everything about it and like what it meant and I was able to over a few months basically collect an entire matching set of um, measuring bowls and then these like really special kind of special shaped measuring bowl and they like nest together and it, you know it took me you know time but not like a crazy long amount of time and then just like dedication to going and I was able to like curate this little like actually three different matching bowl sets like over time and they're literally like my prized possession (laughs) that is so cool I my project right now is I'm trying to create a really cute like picnic set uh I started to think about it last summer because I was like you know we can't eat in restaurants like we're always like eating on the side of the road or in our car and I was like this is just like depressing like what if we could find a spot and like I could pull out this thing that would have all the dishes and like utensils and whatnot and it would feel fun and so I was like okay this is gonna be my mission well I'm gonna tell you I swear this happens and I'm sure you'll agree with this you see something all the time the moment you're like this is my goal you don't see it right you can't find it (laughs) <laughs> right. So for that, that for me was finding a nice picnic basket, specifically with the like loops, like the leather loops inside yeah. to hold the dishes and stuff in place. I am not kidding, Michelle. I would see these, 10 of these every time I went to a thrift store. I get oh, the I idea in my mind. <laughs> yeah, I get the idea in my mind that this is what I want. Nothing. Finally, <laughs> finally found it in December. That's how long it took oh me. Oh, my God. But you were collectively picking up on the need for everybody wanted it to go picnic basket in their car. Like, and so they probably all went to the thrift store and grabbed them. I know. Totally. Totally. I will say that the woman who checked me out at the community aid was like, this is the best one I've seen in a long time. So I felt like it was worth the wait. But, you know, by the way, really great suggestion, guys. I can't wait until we're all like having these really stylized picnics this summer uh I can't wait uh I so yeah that's like the project I'm working on so it means like gradually collecting the pieces and like putting it together in my brain and it's so it's like half hobby almost like creative challenge but also like utilitarian you know like it's not just shopping to shop but it's like this is going to be great when we go on road trips we can have a picnic in the backyard you know like whatever you know during the summer we do like to just like randomly drive around and go look at weird places like this is going to help us and we won't have to eat like gas station food and whatnot. So I love it. I am I really definitely have that. the same fixation with like collecting something that goes together, like, like a set of things. And I don't know if that's like a product of growing up in the nineties where you had collected all those McDonald's toys, but like <laughs> I definitely like if I get on something, I have to collect like all of it. <laughs> no, I, yeah, you're just a, you're a completionist. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I totally get that feeling. I there have been times where I'm like I can't start collecting item X Y Z because I'll never get every piece and it will make me lose my mind. You know, like even when like Safeway has the Monopoly game, uh-huh. <laughs> there was one summer in LA. Safeway in LA is called Vons, where. Dustin mm-hmm. and I were like, we're going to get really serious about the Vaughn's Monopoly game. And it was like us just sitting at the table, like sorting out all of our game pieces every time we went grocery shopping <laughs> and like getting really anxious about how we were like never going to get Park Place. 
Oh my god! So it's like, wow, this is this is what this is what we do now, you know. I love it. <laughs> um. Well, what else? What do you else? You're, I mean, you're an expert. So you must know to, something to else. To your point, to your point of like, it took you until December to find that picnic basket. One of my like biggest drifting tips is to buy things like when they're off season. Um. They're not mm. always going to be, like, available in the store because I know, like, Goodwill, for example, doesn't, like, put out sweaters, like, year-round. But if you're kind of, like, coming in and out of those seasons, it's you can get a better deal on something because they're not what people are, like, shopping for at that moment. And so, mm-hmm. like, one of my fellow vintage sellers when I first started, like, one of the things she said to me that, like, stuck in my brain was like if you see a really good knit sweater I don't care what time of year it is you buy it <laughs> because yes that is so true. hard to find when you need yeah. them and yeah. so um I always like you know I try not to keep too much back stock or like things that aren't in season because I don't want to store a bunch of things but yeah you definitely if you see something like really amazing and it's in the dead of the summer and it's like this wool sweater and it's like pristine or whatever like just get it (laughs) because you'll wear it when the winter comes (laughs) you will Um, you will I did that last summer I got this really amazing winter coat and it was like hanging in the closet for like four or five months because I feel like winter sort of started late and the day I got to put it on, it was, like, the best feeling ever. I love that. You're, like, it feels like you just bought it. Even yeah. Even though it's been sitting in your closet. It's, like, a gift that my past self gave to my future self. <laughs> I love it. You're, like, I know you're going to want this. <laughs> You'll be so glad. Just be patient. <laughs> okay. Well, I would say, like, the, you know, in addition to having – the list of things that you need or want or are looking for, it is so important to know your measurements, whether Mm -hmm. you're shopping in person or online, um, just knowing like the basics of what your waist measurement is or your like sleeve length and buying or having one of those little like soft, um, they're like really, really small tape measures. Um, and having that on hand with you. So like if you find a pair of jeans and you can't try them on or, you know, and it's kind of weird right now because of COVID, like all the thrift store dressing rooms are closed and some places won't let you try stuff on. Um, it's really key to have that because you can just hold that up to the waist and take a measurement of the rise and the inseam and, and know like these are going to fit me when you're when you're buying them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also important to look like in all of the sizing areas in the thrift store. Cause things are not oh, like, if you're like, I need a size small, I would look in all the categories because some things are just going to be in different places and they're not really going off of regular sizes I feel like old things are weird sizes and things have gotten shrunk or they're oversized and it's just like don't just restrict yourself to like women's small tops if that's what you're looking for because you can find I mean I one of my biggest like secrets is looking in the 
boys, like the kids' boys section and like the large or extra large because you can find some like cool stuff there in the kids section or like men's wear like don't like don't like have an open mind when you go to the thrift store because <laughs> yeah, that's gonna yeah. Be everywhere <laughs> like I found my best friend she's really petite and like when we went together last um I basically was like okay we need to look at the like boys like little kids section and she found a bunch of really awesome um cotton turtlenecks that were like brand new and they fit her perfectly because um she's like a woman's extra small so you know like you can look anywhere really in the thrift store oh yeah it's not i would also say i find stuff in the kookiest places no matter how organized oh, yeah. people like hide stuff too yeah yeah i mean i know i recently had a situation in which i'm like 99 percent certain that i found someone's like hidden stash and I was really <laughs> torn about what to do. It's <laughs> like, I don't know what to do. Like, there's no, this can't be just a coincidence that all this awesome stuff is hanging together. But also just like, you know, the people who are sorting stuff into the floor, they are not sitting there and like examining every label and being like, oh, this is a size medium. And they're also not measuring things. So I find no. things mixed up all over the place. Um, I I would just urge you to look at everything. Yes. So that's why, like, it's if you're really a newbie to this and have never gone thrifting before, I would just kind of start with a, one or two things that you're looking for. Like, you're like, I need some new jeans. So just go and tackle, like, all of the denim in the store and then maybe, like, stop there. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, you're going to need to look at all of the denim. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I, like... For me, and and the the thing, like one of the pillars of my business and what I sell is I like to focus on good or what I would consider good natural fabric. So I'm only looking for things that are cotton, linen, wool, cashmere, um, denim, like just really like these are fabrics that are good for you. They're good for the environment. They're easy to take care of. Um, Built to, and a lot of like cheap things. And I know you've talked about this so in depth on your on past episodes about like polyester. Like I basically avoid polyester unless it's like a polyester blend sweatshirt because it's really really hard to like get away from that. Or if it's just mm-hmm. some amazing piece of vintage, but like polyester is gonna smell. It's gonna be like it's going to leach more microplastics every time you wash it. So these are the things that I'm looking for. And when I go into the store, it's why thrifting in person, I think is so important is because you can touch and feel everything. And so I kind of have this like visual filter on, like, like I explained before where I'm just like, after time you can start to like spot from far away what, cotton and like wool look like and you can see what like acrylic things look like and you can kind of tell the difference so I'm kind of like scanning the scanning the racks looking for that or I'm like looking um for a color palette and that's like a really great way to sort of weed down what you're looking for when you first go to a store so it's like important to know what you're looking for but also knowing like your personal color palette so you're not like 
looking at, like, let's say you wear all neutral brown, orange, warm tones, like, don't even look, bother looking at things that are green or bright or whatever. Just try to kind of, like, gravitate towards things that are in your color palette. And that's a lot of times, like, Goodwill's nice, at least the ones here, because they kind of categorize things by color. But there are lots of thrift stores that don't, and it kind of makes it really hard and, like, mm-hmm. cluttered. And so you have to go through, like, each thing kind of hanger by hanger. And it's good to do that while you're, like, learning how to look for things. But after time, like, now I can just sort of, like, gaze down a rack and kind of know, like, I don't see anything that jumps out at me is that I'm going to be interested in. But it isn't. it is a good way to just sort of – like you're looking at all the shirts and to like touch each one hanger by hanger to kind of like flip it out and see what the tag says or see what you're looking at. Um, and it's important to like give yourself enough time to go thrifting, but like also limit yourself. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you've never gone, like maybe give yourself an hour in the thrift store and I like, I'll set a timer on my phone too, especially if I have to go somewhere else. Because otherwise you'll just be in there all day and you'll be hungry and tired and overwhelmed. (laughs) Yes, yes. So, you know, it can be a lot, but you can find some really, really great stuff. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's, that's really good advice. You kind of, you can't just go in there and arbitrarily, I mean, I guess it just comes back to this idea of like really changing the way we shop as a whole. And really, you know, being a lot more strategic and mindful about it. And don't buy things that aren't you just because they look cool. Yeah. That's, that's like a thrifting 101 right there. We've all, we've all bought stuff that we're never going to wear thrifting because it's just so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I try to be really honest with myself and I actually do this a lot with Justin because he kind of wants to buy any Western shirt that he sees. It's like a plaid <laughs> button up, you know, and I'm like, okay, are you going to wear it? Does it fit? Yep. Uh, put it on. And I want to see, can you drive a car? That's like classic buyer. Oh, yeah, can you, you raise your arm? <laughs> yeah. Raise your arm. Yep. <laughs> now I'm like, you buy the car. Okay. Now do look at your phone. Yeah. And, uh, yep. you know, like not just buying something. Cause, cause like his attitude would be like, well, maybe I'll give it to someone. And I'm like, you probably won't. I mean, yeah. like right now, you're definitely not, you know? So yeah. uh, definitely just being really mindful, whether you're buying something secondhand or new. I think we tend to think that it's thrifted. So whatevs, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing. Like if, like for me, when I, when I, before I had my shop is I would go for myself and then I would be devastated because I'd see these rad things and I'd have to leave them behind because I didn't need them. And I feel very lucky and fortunate that I have an outlet of a place where I get to curate and, and sell things, but you know, don't just buy something because it's like really cool. And, you know, and if you do see something really cool and you don't want to leave it behind, maybe like reach out to somebody local who does resell and be like, Hey, this might be great for your shop. Like I just saw these great things down at this Goodwill, like you should go get them. Um, but just because it's, you know, cheap or it's fair, like think about, is it like absolutely 
needed for your wardrobe? Are you going to wear the crap out of it? And, and if not, you know somebody you really know you will give to that will love it, you know, text them a photo of it. Or mm-hmm. otherwise, like, leave it behind for the next person who might really need it. Because otherwise, like, you're going to – it's going to sit in your car. <clears throat> you're never going to wear it. And then it's going to go be donated again. And it might not make it back to the store. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and so that's the, like, ethical part where it's, like, do you really need it? Are you going to wear it? Is it for your shop? And if not, leave it for the next person. And, you know, I definitely overbought at the beginning because I was, like, trying to figure out my aesthetic. And there's a lot of things that I didn't end up liking for my shop. And now I'm, like, so probably – psycho about (laughs) what I do buy because I'm like if I know I can't sell that like immediately I'm not going to even like take a chance on it right now because I don't need to have a ton of inventory and I want to make sure that this is actually going to be useful and loved by somebody immediately Mm -hmm. when I go shopping with somebody else too and they're like you know if my friend pulls something they're like this is amazing I'm going to get it and I'm like do you really think you have some, like, I always tell, I always tell people, how are you going to wear that? Do you have mm-hmm. multiple outfits that that goes with? And if you don't, if you can't immediately think of, like, how you're going to style it or how it fits into your wardrobe, like, don't get it. I don't, I don't care <laughs> how cool it is. Like, it has to be useful or you're like, oh, this is the perfect sweater and I'm going to wear it with my Levi's jeans and my Doc Martens and like throw this coat over top of it and you know it's going to be like four different outfits um so it's like important to know what you already like have it's important to know what you're looking for I love Pinterest it's such a great way to put together like style inspiration or look up ideas like you know if you maybe you've never bought a western shirt before you're like how do I style this just like look on Pinterest and you pull up an outfit you're like oh I have those pants that that person's wearing in that outfit like I'll get this shirt so I think I can you know make it work Mm -hmm. um and I'm always like and this is where maybe like Dustin should chill (laughs) chill on his shirts because I'm like if there's something like that where I'm nuts over like you know for me, it's definitely denim jackets. Mm-hmm. Like, I just can't not buy a denim jacket. <laughs> I have a lot so of friends with a like, denim jacket problem. If there's, like, if there's, like, one I really want to get, I will basically immediately, like, recurate the ones I already have. So I'm like, okay, is, is this one going to replace – is this one better than one I have that I can now donate or resell from my closet that's not getting as much wear? And then right. I'm like, okay, that'll be, like, okay to buy because I'm, like, upgrading that one that one thing, yeah. which is something I am always doing, where I'm like, oh, I found a better fitting plaid jacket than this one that I do have that I kind of love, but I know where this one more because the colors work better or it fits me a little bit better. Um, and that's, like, the fun of thrifting because I'm, like, able to kind of re- like, I'm just, like, slowly upgrading my closet all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I think that's great. That is so smart. I, I do think we all 
know what we like and we just tend to, as soon as we see it, jump on it. And, you know, once again, going back to that idea of like gentrifying thrift, I, I just don't believe that, that that's really happening, but being mindful and not just buying things just because you're like, oh, I love denim jackets and not having a plan in place or plaid shirts mm-hmm. is maybe taking good stuff from other people, you know, like, mm-hmm. like I like mm-hmm. the idea of thrifting responsibility, responsibly mm-hmm. and kind of like sharing the wealth, if you will. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I'm excited for more people to start thrifting. Like I really want to see this be a bigger and bigger thing because you know, where I grew up, it still is stigmatized to thrift. It's still seen as a thing yeah. that only poor people are do or, or weird people or something. I mean, to not sidebar again, but, you know, growing up, I actually didn't get to go thrifting because it was highly stigmatized by my mom and my family. And it was something that I always thought would be cool or wanted to do and it wasn't until like freshman year of high school one of my best friends in school took me to a goodwill and I had like never been to one um because my mom grew up really poor and and it was just like she didn't want me to do that because Mm -hmm. of how it was looked upon and I just thought it was so cool because again I was in high school in the 90s when like grunge and um, people were dressing in goth and it, I just like wanted to be cool and like, you know, like my friends and go thrifting. And I remember the first thing I ever got was this like faux fur white jacket. And my mom was so mad when I brought it home because she's like, that's going to have like lice on it or something. And like, <laughs> I don't remember what happened to it, but I, you know, there's like, things can be cleaned like I'm literally like not afraid of anything anymore (laughs) (laughs) you know like you have to be careful but you can go thrifting and definitely like as I've gotten more into it there are less and less things that bother me like I would even go so far as to say like I would buy or I actually have bought a secondhand thrifted bikini before and like you just look at it and check it out and wash it and it's fine yeah dude (laughs) I agree just wash it I do think that like our phobia of certain things of like the perceived cleanliness of certain things means a lot of stuff just goes to waste but literally yep. you can wash just about anything in one way yep. or another and yes. you're not going to catch something from thrift store clothes. I mean, I still wash everything no. before I wear it, but yes. you know, to be fair, I don't I haven't done that 100% of the time in my life. <laughs> yeah, same. I've definitely uh, I definitely thrifted um cuz I have like a no couch situation right now and I was like I can't sit on the floor any longer and literally again I was like okay I'm going to be buying something from Target I need to be very thoughtful about what I'm buying here like this is a temporary thing I want to buy something that I'm going to enjoy or will have a good resale value that's another thing I always think about when I'm buying something is like is this an actual good investment choice into something that will be valuable later I don't like to buy something that I can't resell mm-hmm. um long story short ended up finding these beanbag chairs on Craigslist that are like knockoff room and board ones. And they're like an insane deal. And we I went and picked them up 
and I was like, do I sanitize me? And I was like, that's it. I'm just going to sit in them. <laughs> like, so the lady's home seemed clean. She seemed like, you know, fine. There's no weird fleas or um, whatever. They're, they're in my house and I'm sitting on them. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. I mean, I definitely have a lot of secondhand furniture judgment. in my house. Yeah, this but, is a judgment free zone, you know, and. I, <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I am definitely psycholy cautious about things that I like buy and bring into my home. Like I will, I like usually quarantine everything in my car for a while. And then I either immediately wash stuff or things that don't get washed. I take to the dry cleaners. Um, but this is like an, this is a really important like tip to circle back to when thrifting is um, it is so important when you're like first looking at something is to check for damages to it, any kind of holes or smells, because I always need to make sure that like, do I have a easy way to fix, clean this and, you know, prepare it for myself or to resell. And most things you can, but there's like some things that you just can't like, for example, this sounds weird, but like you always have to look at the crotch of pants. Like I can't tell you how many times I've like found some cool pants and like almost forgot to look inside the crotch. And I was like, yeah, no, that is <laughs> one thing I draw the line at like cleaning. Like I don't care if there's a stain in the crotch. No, you know, yes. and make sure the zippers work. Um, Cause I also have an, from experience, like a mental note, I have all of the things that are fixable and the costs associated with them. So I'm like, okay, found a really amazing wool trench coat, um, but the inner lining is ripped. Okay, mm-hmm. I know that's going to cost me $30 to have my seamstress repair. I know a lot of people can sew on their own, and that's like my one faux pas is I don't actually know how to use the sewing machine or so and I need to learn, but <laughs> I like to support my local seamstress or your dry cleaner can fix a lot of things for you too. Um, but just like knowing what are, what are the, what are the costs of the investment into fixing a piece? So like if you can find something for that's rad, amazing, and it has like a damage and it's a good price knowing like, okay, with a little bit of money, I can, you know, bring this back to its luster and, like, love the crap out of it. Um, Zippers, I hate broken zippers, but they're fixable. Like, you can, you know, if it's worth it, you can have someone put a new zipper in it. I always look for all the buttons or if there's, like, moth damage or, like, holes. I know a great reliever in Chicago that I can send stuff to. Um, Leather goods, you can usually clean them or like wipe them down but if they smell like cigarette smoke you're never going to get that smell out of leather so there's there's like all of these little things to to think about and and that's another thing too where you're like if you're talking about the gentrification but there's some things that um, are really amazing and you're able to fix them I would almost like gravitate towards buying those because somebody um else might not be able to and if that sits mm-hmm. at goodwill for too long it's going to go to the bins and then it's going to go to the landfill so if it's like something that 
you have the expertise and skill set to repair and it's something you know you want, I would say, like, get that over the other thing because with, like, a little bit of care and love for a really well-made item, you're going to love and cherish that, like, more than anything. Agreed. So Amazing advice. I think that those, like, and there's definitely times where I'm like, oh, I don't want to go through all the effort that this, like, specific thing might need, but there are definitely, like, you can rework things. If a sweater is super oversized, you can have it, um, you, if you know how to sew, you can hem it or crop it yourself and make a really cute, like, crop sweater. Um, you can have jeans taken in at the waist. Um, you can have them hemmed, like, can't really fix low rise. <laughs> and they never want to fix yeah. that. <laughs> don't think you can. I don't think you can rejuvenate a low rise to a high rise. Although I think that's a great challenge. <laughs> I am still. The, my life challenge is like pondering what to do with all the low rise jeans oh, that exist in the world because there's so many. What do we do with them? I don't know. But they they need some love because they should never exist again. <laughs> Justin was like in, possibly pondering a pair of jeans and he held them up and I was like, dude, the rise is like two inches on those. He's like, you think? And I was like, hold them up to yourself. And we were just like, oh my god, how did we live oh. like that? <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, I lived through Britney Spears like low-rise jean phase and I have a giant like bubble butt and small waist so I literally had to wear boys jeans from the gap to survive the 90s because like <laughs> literally nothing would fit over me <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, I feel your pain what a what a time to be alive oh, thank god for high-rise jeans oh because they're yeah. like regular rise for me but um <laughs> but yeah like so these are like all of the things consider but like you know check for scenes oh and like because of covid like you know tie-dye and dyeing things became i mean it's never really gone out of style i don't think but it had a big moment there and so i actually was intentionally going and buying um like stained cotton or linen or silk things and then dyeing them because then you're like giving them a new life and saving them from the landfill or someone who might not want to buy them or you can do bleach reverse dye on dark things they have to be natural fabrics but like that's like another fun thing to do because then it's like you're you're repurposing things that are really really good because they're made out of a good material um and you're saving them from the landfill I, I love that. Um, so smart. So, I hope that there's more of that happening, you know? Yes. And you can get, like, screaming deals on stuff. And, I'm again, like, thrift stores really need us to shop there and support them and, and to give our money to them. But, like, if you see something that's, like, for example, I'm just, like, pulling, like, it's, like, a 90s Eddie Bauer cotton knit sweater, and it's, like, Fourteen ninety nine, and it has a stain on it. Like, go up to the cashier and be like, "Look, I really want this. There's a there's a stain on it. What can you do?" And like, they'll usually like give you a they'll knock the price off. It won't be like returnable, but like you can kind of 
like examine what you're buying and and if it just seems a little whack then ask and they'll usually give you like a better deal and then I'll be like oh I know I'm just gonna go home and dye this a different color or I can crop out the stain because it's like below um where I'd want to crop it at or whatever like I'm gonna rework it anyways and you can get like a, a good deal on something but don't just like take everything up and ask for a discount just because yeah, don't get <laughs> it has to be it has to be like egregious. <laughs> yes, definitely, definitely. Do you have any other advice or thoughts for everyone? Um I think we have talked about so many of the things that I thought were important to cover. Um I think the one thing I didn't get to say when you do go thrifting, um, you know, in addition to like planning to spend a lot of time is when you're going to the store and you see something that you're like thinking about, I like to kind of grab everything at first that I am interested in. And then at the end of like my hour or two hours, I will basically cull it down or curate it to, you know, a super tight knit, like, few things um and I think that's kind of the the best way to thrift because you're seeing all the things that catch your eye and then at the end you can sort of stop and think about each piece individually and how they play together and then I'll usually walk out with like you know five or ten things that are all in the same color palette or you know, you might find multiple different flannel shirts and you're like, okay, there's four I really liked, but now I'm looking at them and three of them have a hole in them or whatever. And this is the one I really want. When you're done, don't make a huge mess, put them back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I like to go through like that. And then I take everything off the hangers and I fold them up in a pile in my basket and have the tags like pulled out in my own bag. And then I go and check out and it's a very like, clean, organized, streamlined checkout process. Super smart. The using, putting it all in the cart and editing later is my trick too. And I feel like you should just grab a cart when you get to the store. But this is something that Justin and I kind of squabble about because he's superstitious. And he thinks if you grab a cart, then you're not going to find anything. (gasps) (laughs) Oh, my God, that's hilarious. I made that mistake at the beginning where I would not take a cart and then my my hand, like one time my hand actually went numb because I was holding too many hangers <laughs> yes. in it and like black from like the dirt and stuff. I'm like, you just need the, the, you just need the basket. Like you immediately grab the basket and you have to, yes. have, you have to be like prepared. You have to have, um, the right outfit. Okay. Like pre, pre COVID when you could try stuff on and, and I'll still throw stuff on on top, but like, Wear, like, a super fitted um, shirt so that it's easy to, like, try on stuff on top of it. Like, don't be like me and wear a giant knit turtleneck sweater (laughs) with, like, a bulky coat and your favorite earrings. Because I have definitely ripped my earring off and lost the back in a good Uh, way. Like, you have to be, like, streamlined, like, like legging like you're like a ninja literally like leggings are great <laughs> fitted fitted top so that you, you don't don't also wear like a onesie 
<laughs> yeah, that's a really good call. I mean, good call. We've all learned these hard lessons the hard way. So please, please take bring our snacks, advice here. Yes. Bring sanitizer. I mean, yes. before COVID, bring sanitizer. Bring your mask, obviously. Um, and I – biggest tip, make sure you've gone to the bathroom before you go to the video because I – I cannot tell you how many times I've thrifted and I've had to pee so bad I've not almost not made it home because I'm like terrified to use the restroom inside of the Goodwill. I've done it one time in an emergency and and that was it. So it's like go to the Starbucks next door, get your coffee, go to the bathroom, and then like give yourself enough time. Oh yeah, I'm totally like no liquids. Forty five minutes before we hit the yeah. thrift store. Uh, <laughs> You know, like that, there's nothing worse than being like, okay, either I keep shopping and pee my pants or I have to just give up and leave because then you like feel defeated. And there are times where I'm like, we should normalize wearing diapers to thrift. I mean, I'm just kidding. We should not. But, you know, like, you know how it is when you're like on a roll and then you're like, oh, why, why is my body betraying me right now? (laughs) And it's worse now because you can't stop anywhere with COVID to go use a restroom like you used to. So I literally just made this mistake again. And you can ask my friend Jasmine because I was, like, texting her, and I'm like, I don't think I'm going to make it home. (laughs) I I hear you. I I only got 20 minutes in the thrift store because I had to pee that bad. (laughs) I mean, I literally – I've had conversations where I'm with myself where I'm like, you know what? What's the worst thing that happens if you pee your pants in the car? <laughs> like, I've had to, like, already, like, justify it, like, gaslight myself yeah. out of it or something. Like, yeah, it's like, fine. Like, this has already happened, so I'm now just, like, we're going to be okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing all your expert advice today. It feels... You know, I feel like I've known you forever on the internet or something like that, and it feels really exciting to, like, now know what your voice sounds like. Thank you. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. I'm so glad that I finally got to talk to Michelle IRL, or at least as IRL as I can right now. And I can't wait for the day I can visit her in Seattle to talk more because we could have talked for like a whole day, I swear. You can find Michelle on Instagram at Black Sands, and that's B-L-A-K-S-A-N-D-S. And don't worry, I'll share this link in the show notes. So I don't know why I spelled that whole thing out, but there I did. And this Saturday... February 27th from 10 to 4, Michelle is participating in the Full Moon Market, a virtual market that aims to, quote, create a space where small businesses can come together each month to connect, grow their clientele, and foster their creative community. She says, I'm hoping to pop in live, answer your questions, and share new vintage, as well as a collection of brand new limited edition colors in our best-selling beanie. So please check it out. You can find out more info on her Instagram feed, so just go do that right now. I mean, I did just spell it all out for you. (laughs) And thank you again, Michelle. I hope you all learned a lot from her. Most importantly, use the bathroom before you hit the thrift store. And once again, if you have tips, thoughts, or stories about secondhand, 
please reach out to me just because secondhand month is ending and we're moving on to consumption month. I still believe secondhand is the future, so I'll never stop talking about it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Clothes Horse. If you like what you're hearing, please, you know what I'm going to say, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. You know, it pushes us up in the charts. We get more listeners, more people learn all the stuff I'm talking about. And don't forget to tell your friends. Also, don't forget that you can find us on Instagram at Clothes Horse Podcast. And every Friday, I've been doing an Instagram Live at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, where I update you about some blog stuff. I can answer your questions about this week's episodes or really anything else. So be there or be square. You don't want to miss out on a chance to see Brenda again. Also, if you want to meet other Clothes Horse listeners, join the Clothes Horsing Around Facebook group. I'll share a link in the show notes. And of course, if you love the sound of my voice, please check out my other podcast, The Department, which I co-host with my friend Kim. We're in the midst of an endless series about the 2000s. This week, we talked about irony and scams, which sounds like a weird band. Anyway, what a combo. Thanks, as always, to Justin Travis White for our music and audio support. Bye.